Good morning to you, Randall. Yeah, good morning. I trust you well. Yes, uh, we are well here. And uh, so um, so we, we've we got uh, Randall uh, on Teams. So, um, But you're obviously in the ute out in the vineyard. That's a pretty good spot to be, mate. Uh, it's the best place to be on a Sunday morning, that's for sure. I understand it's actually uh, he's replanting the, the vines, bringing them back after the fires. Ah. Taking yeah, so- it for the team, Randall. Yeah, so I was very unfortunate. We got caught up in the Cudley Creek fires the other year. Mm. And, um, you know, the uh, the vineyards weren't burnt badly, but the fire definitely sort of passed through. Uh, but uh, uh, what what we're finding now is that more and more vines just don't have the same strength and the same vigour. Uh, it's like the fires made them old men. Um, mm. So s- systematically we're changing them over to lovely new vines uh, with uh, great varieties. Yeah, nice. How are you seeing it actually change the wines? Are, they, are you noticing there's a, f- a fair difference in the taste change? Uh, in terms of wines from a bushfire year with smoke taint. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. Well, it seems like you guys have come through pretty well. Uh, no, we have. You know, it's been a challenging time and I've been like a man possessed doing vineyard repairs and planting new vines. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so it's a great new start. Because that's your thing, isn't it? Sorry, Jill. That's your your really um, vineyards uh, planting and that sort of thing is something you're heavily involved in. And um, we we'll get to that. I just wanted to ask, given your um, you know it's all about the soil and and you have a real um, you know your philosophy is is soil health. Do you think that the fires going over the ground has actually contributed to to that lack of um, intensity or vigour that you're seeing in the vines? Like, would that have had an effect? Oh, I think it's I think it's a real shock thing. Um, you know, it's just like, for instance, if you have sheep, because we came from a mixed uh, farming background. Uh, my family's been growing uh, grapes for three generations now, since 1936 in Mildura. And um, I kind of think of it like sheep. Like, if you're really hard on your stock or your sheep, uh, uh, the wool will break in the sheep, and the sheep are kind of never the same. And it's almost the same here. I think the heat just bakes the roots, mm. um, and there's some scar tissue burn or burn where it's been significant on the bark, um, and it just ages the vines and makes them feel like old men. Mm. Well, look, Randall, we've um, we just actually had uh, one of your one of your, co- your colleagues. Uh, we had Alex from Redheads on, and um, as you know, we had the minister early. And I understand the minister's a, a good mate of yours. And um, so they've given us a bit of an overview of the entry program into the US. So I'd love to actually hear some of your views because you've had such extensive experience in the US to the point you actually do have vineyards in uh, Paso Robles, which is a great area. So can you talk to us a bit about the market and how you view it? Yeah, well, firstly, you know, well done to the South Australian government and uh, Minister Patterson on the the trade initiative. Um, Wine Australia only got so far um, and... um, with the COVID and everything else, the government's been really, really innovative in in opening new markets and new channels. Um, and for the US market, it's quite a sophisticated market, so we really do need, need some great help. Yes, it does. It, it, it does seem that way. Now, I know we, we we spoke at length the other day about about the program and what you'd be able to get out. But what are you hoping uh, for, for Atomic Wines? What are the main benefits going to be for you guys? Well, we're really hoping to establish some new links over there. Um, you know, we were in the US market for a few years before and, and you know, invested heavily. I had my own guy there part-time and 
and after years and years we built up and we you know we got a great distributor um only to be squeezed out by another large brand um so the the us is a complex market um it's not like china where china is like an uncomplex market and you know you meet a new client, you build some trust, he's after some wine, and the sale happens. In the US, everything's programmed. And like, for example, uh, my sales guy over in Texas, uh, he was an elderly gentleman, and he'd been calling on the same clients for 20 or 30 years. The market's um, very sophisticated, and and it really need, needs a lot of effort to crack it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I don't know, you just mentioned that the China market was actually quite an easy one. It's become rather complex itself now, hasn't it? But I guess it's also come at a very good time that this, uh, this grant has. It's, um, you know, it has come after the fires where a lot of wineries really needing some help. It's come at a time where we have lost uh, one, of our, one of our largest export markets for wine. So how do you think that the US actually are going to help open up this market obviously we formed a, a good relationship over there one australia have what are they going to do on their part to assist us in exporting to them uh well one australia is great at making new contacts uh, they have people on the ground there um and you know uh, they're great at they're great at getting business started mm. well that's yeah i guess that's kind of well that's wine australia but um i mean the, the amount of challenges that we're going to be facing with the us market apart from it being quite a complex uh, market to get into as you mentioned is the uh is the price point we've mentioned that a couple of times this morning on the show it's actually finding that uh, the right price point for their premium wines with of course the us expecting their premium wines to be more between that 15 and 20 25 dollar mark whereas our wines our premium markets is is quite different so how are you um how are you going to focus your wines around those different price points to get them into where they need to be well it's actually quite a challenge um and uh, it took me years and years of traveling the world and trying to sell my wares to work out that, uh, you know, Australia, we were in a struggle uh, with the last drought around uh, 2008, 2012 in the GFC. And we're really lucky for the industry that Casellas and uh, Yellowtail rose to be brand Australia and they really saved a lot of the industry. Uh, but my struggle now is that it's just difficult to get the category of Australian wine up to premium. Um, there's a view in a lot of markets where where uh, Australia wine is more sort of cheap and cheerful. And uh, our challenge is to convince them that there are unique areas, there's unique terroirs, great wines of a high level, um, and that the Australian category should shift uh, up to that premium. And uh, what we in the industry call premium is 15 to $20. So it's a fair old squeeze to get us up from that 7 to $10 market uh, up to the $15, almost double. Sure. So based on you obviously having the, the winery in South Australia and but also having some vineyards over in California, what would you say the main differences are? Um, the California style of wines very similar to a lot of Australian styles. Uh, California um, grows those great wines in Napa, which are like our Brossa Valley and, um, uh, and the entry level up there starts at $180 and goes upwards. Uh, and then uh, they have areas, you know, right down through Fresno and Bakersfield, which are the same as our Riverland and Griffith areas. Uh, but uh, Americans do it well. And the great advantage I think California's got is that um, Americans just like buying American stuff. Yes. 
Yes. Well, I mean, they, they do like buying American stuff. They like buying Chinese stuff. But, I mean, you're actually exporting your technology to America, aren't you? The ripping technology that Simon just uh, um, mentioned before. Yeah, yeah. So um, I started off uh, uh, in in mixed farming with the family and then somehow I ended up planting forests and doing forestry. And uh, and one day I met with a soil scientist, which my father had been, been bugging me for six months. You've got to meet this guy. You've got to meet this guy. So eventually I met him and and uh, he was from the University of Adelaide and and uh, John Rassick. And all of a sudden um, I thought I was an expert before, but I didn't know anything. So that started on a journey of we developed uh, some different tools. And if you imagine the Australia 2 uh, sailing yacht with the wing keel, uh, we kind of designed one of those which moves up and down in the soil. And so you've actually put, oh sorry you, you go Simon. No, I, I, was, I was just going to say um uh Randall if you can explain to people what the the difference is and, and what you feel is the real benefit of this technology and um uh and also you know it, it talks to terroir and all that sort of thing too no problem um so yeah we formed a company called Ag Soilworks and uh, we're the guys which prepare the soil for Great Australian brands like Penfolds and Henschke's, Taylor's, uh, uh, the Heritage Vineyard up there um, in the Brossa. Um, and um, and what we do is that we, we translate soil science to the ground. So we go out into a field and we'll dig a soil pit every acre and then we'll compare the soil profiles and we'll map the soils and map the vigour uh, and then we'll lay out a vineyard. And in some cases we even... Uh, talk with other experts and we work out the direction of the sun in the six weeks of ripening and we, and we align the vineyard rows so it all just ripens beautifully with no sunburn. Um, so uh, I took this technology over to America uh, back about 10 years ago. Uh, I actually went over on an Austrade grant <laughs> and started there and um, and uh, soil work started in California somewhere around about 2007. Uh, I, I was lucky enough to partner with an industry legend um, and now we develop up to 30,000 acres of land over in America using our technology. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. And such, such, such great land over there. I was, uh, I was actually over exactly in that area right near Monterey a couple of years ago. And, you know, the, I'm blown, blown away by their Chardonnays and their cabs. But I was really surprised with their Pinots. It's, um, I'm not the biggest Pinot Noir drinker myself. I like something a little heavier. But I thought the Pinots over there were quite incredible. So, I mean, the, the differences in, in the wines and the quality of the wines, it's it, it's it's very different. Are you do you find the sort of influences that you get from the Californian style you put into your wines here at Tomic? California like richer, rounder wines and mm. and, and easy drinking wines. Um, and interestingly, like when they make wine, um, it's kind of one of the fundamentals are different uh, here in Australia. Uh, you know, Max Schubert, uh, the uh, the Penfolds master, taught everyone to watch the pH, and we always keep the pH under under four or 3.8 and um and that way the wine doesn't spoil but in america um it's over four and i spoke to the winemaker there and he looked looked at me like i was crazy um oh. so they make fast fermented rich round fat wines um uh, with a bit more sweetness in it as well yeah. perfect for the american palate that's a there's a a uh a, a wine show that i follow um over in uh, Laurie Forster, the wine coach, um, and she she always says, "We talk sweet. Uh, sorry, we talk dry, but we drink sweet." So her point being, you know, as as much as they want to, you know, talk about you know 
they love the you know finessing wines and all that you know delicate thing. They still need some fruit sweetness at least, or some residual sugar. Uh, it's an interesting point because um, the wines which I I now target for export are my mid-tier wines. Uh, you know, Tomich wines. We make a whole series of different wines from icon level right through to export levels, and um, and. I used to target my best wines, my icon wines, and we've been lucky enough to, our Pinot Noir has been rated at 95, 94, 96 over the last few years, which is terrific. And um, and I used to try and export those wines, but they were a little bit misunderstood. So uh, just, you know, they work great in France and the UK, but elsewhere it was a bit of a struggle. So I actually target my um, mid-level wines, which are, which are my Australian sort of wines, which are around $20, 18 to $20. And um, and those wines are a little bit sweeter, a little bit richer in the middle, um, more of a pub pour sort of style wine, uh, and they're the wines we find we have the most success in export markets with now. Mm. Are these also um, from the Woodside Vineyard? Uh, yes, they are. So um, um, yeah, we're an estate uh, brand, and um, and we do about forty, fifty thousand cases a year, uh, grow a thousand tons, and. Um, and to be and uh, have strong domestic markets and some great export markets in France. How much are you actually hoping to export over to the US? If I could develop the market up into um, one to two containers, say fifteen to two hundred uh, to two thousand cases over the next year or two, that'd be a great success. Yeah. Okay. Great. Great. And um, okay. Any, any likelihood of doing that? You think is fairly strong? I think through through this network and initiative, we're going to try a different approach this time and um, stick with the Wine Australia approach. Uh, sure. you know, it's really important for us to target our wines at a higher spot. Um, yep. And I think this is the best vehicle for us to be able to be with a great bunch of you know, Icon Australian up-and-coming brands uh, and, and uh, position ourselves at the right price point. So you've um you know you're you're a family owned brand uh, you've been you've been around the traps for a while uh, quite a few of the of the wineries that made it into the, the sixteen winners um they are you know, relatively new in comparison do you how, do you think that that's actually a bit of a benefit is it more of an advantage because they haven't really set themselves in stone in a particular way they may not have actually done any exporting themselves. Um. This is a great question, actually. And export and travel and everything—it's all about tenacity. And um, there's a learning curve, and the sooner you, that you jump on, the better. Yeah. Um, and there's so many mixed skills, like um, you know, navigating airports, navigating travel, organising your uh, appointments. Um, it's a complex thing, and then you have to carry wine with you as well. Mm. So, <laughs> so how, um, how... I welcome, I welcome all of the all of the. Uh, uh, new young brands and um, like it's a great opportunity out there and it's a big market um, and I welcome um, their success. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I guess given that you've already had quite a bit of experience uh, with with the American market in wine and your uh, and your and your technology, you, your understanding is is quite there. So you know by by getting this fifty percent subsidy, it really is the financial part is is helping you. Like what what would you say the main benefits are for you? Because you've already got the knowledge and you've already had the education. Well, well, we kind of uh, exited the market um, um, during the GF uh, during the COVID period. It kind of timed out badly for us, and um, you know, we had a great start with a with a distributor. Uh, after years and years of trying, and then after about six or eight months, 
uh, a famous Australian brand came on board and they said get rid of the other guy, which was a bit harsh. Mm. <laughs> so um, we we've been out for a few years and um, you know we really want to investigate getting back in. And um, one of the other drivers for me is that my son's now joining the business and he's about 24, 25. Right. And I th- okay. thought it'd be a great opportunity for him to get involved at a ground level um, and um, hopefully Dad can help him pull off a few sales. Yeah, fantastic. So when do you think we'll be able to see, um, you know, see some milestones being hit? Well, um, the market's only just opening up with the COVID stuff there. And um, I think the real gains are going to come when um, next year when we can all travel over there and uh, and get in front of the buyers and um, sell, sell brand Australia. Right. Okay. Um, um, Randall, one other thing that I was uh, interested in, obviously the, the US still use cork as their closure. Um, for any wines that we send over, are we still okay to, to send them with still, uh, with the screw caps or do you need to bottle with um, with a cork closure? So, it, um, see, the difference is that, as I learned, was that, um, you know, all the best cork uh, basically obviously comes from um, uh, uh, Portugal and and the French get it first, then the Italians get it, then the Americans get it, then whatever's left they send down south <laughs> in terms of quality. So that's why we just, we invented in 1973 the screw cap up in the Clare Valley. Mm. And um, and uh, whites are becoming more acceptable, but if you've got reds, they definitely need to be under cork. Yeah, right. So that, um, I suppose necessarily, that changes... Uh, the way you, you interact with bottling lines and that sort of thing, because the over, overriding majority of closures here for Australian wine is going to be screw cap, surely, these days. Yeah, by far, by far. Whilst the whites and screw caps are becoming uh, more accepted, if you have, say, even Chardonnay should be under cork. Mm. Uh, but um, every American market and every state, see, it's the complexity. Every state it has its own liquor laws and you have to license your products in every state. So it's like me trying to sell my wine to Melbourne. I'd have to apply to the Melbourne Liquor Board. I'd have to get a liquor licence. Then I'd have to apply for a cola, which is called like an identification label to make sure the label's right. Mm. And so uh, we have to print a different label for every state. So there's all these complex barriers to entry. Mm. Um, so if, say, if you're successful in two or three states, you might have to print two or three different labels for one shipment. So it's a complex market. Yeah, right. Um, well, hopefully you can get Jack to do that for you. That's right, because it's 52 <laughs> states, 52 states which operate like 52 countries in terms of Good Lord, yeah. So, and you need to get, you need to hook up with a distributor, as you you were saying before. So there's there's over 900 distributors. Um, how many of those are the ones that that you'd want to try and target? Like, are there the top 20 that you really want to be in the game with, or is it state by state? There are some that are stronger than others. Well, the American system is a little bit different. There's the importer who takes 30%, mm-hmm. then there's the distributor who takes 30%, and then there's the sales guy who takes 30% or the um, or the the uh, bottle shop. So it's a it's a three tier system, and everyone uh, gets licked. Um, then uh, the Australian market's a niche market, so there's there's a few niche players, and there's a handful of really well respected Australian. Uh, importers who do who 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 have done all of the old original core icon brands um, in the first wave of Australian winemaking 20 years ago, 
Um, you know, a lot of the great brands like uh, Torbrek and others set up great distributorships. Um, and there's a handful of people which have traditionally handled the Australian lines. So I think our challenge is is going to be finding finding some some new distributors who are into niche products who who really want to embrace Australia. Mm. Yeah, because you don't want to be one of the twenty thousand wines that they have on their list in their book, and uh, because you just you'll just get lost naturally. Well, those. So first there's importers, uh, and then there's another role in the middle called the brokers. And the brokers are like brokers who take three to five percent, and they find new products, right. and they take the take the new products to the distributors. And um, every kind of broker will have different relationships. Like my old guy Bert over in um, in Texas is about seventy who've been calling on the same clients for thirty or forty years. Um, <laughs> and and the broker's role is to find the new product and to bring the new product to the to the company. Mm. Um, so hopefully with a you know chain of 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 a couple of importers, and uh, and then if the importers have got the right brokers, uh, there should be a chance for good success. Yeah, that's good. Um, and do you oh. need to have the wine in country um, for the distributors to actually list it? Um, uh, um, uh, I've done both types um, with my partner over there in Paso here. He actually had a liquor licence, and we've imported it ourselves as well and settled it ourselves and had our own liquor licences. Um, hmm. But... Um, I think really the best way of doing it is just to send some samples over there, uh, organise all your paperwork and just work really hard and get the order, even if it's just a pallet. And once you get the order, produce it and uh, send it over. It's a bit of a proof in the pudding kind of style. Well, it's very expensive to do any sort of business in America and storing stock and Mm. and having liquor licences and stuff. Um, Whereas for other markets in our UK markets, for example, uh, we kind of operate that way, and um, and then we send samples out, and 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 we've managed to have quite, uh, quite a bit of success there. Awesome. Well, look, Randall, thank you so much for your time this morning, and we will let you get back to attending your, your vines. Um, that's been really interesting, I and mean, you've given a lot of great clarity around around uh, well, not so much the program, but the difficulties, you know, the the challenges of doing this, but but also clearly what's you know what, what's being put in place as to um as to how to overcome best th- those challenges. So look, good luck with it all, and I'm saying good luck to all 16, and not just the 16 winners, but to all wineries now that these um hopefully more of these grants will come into place. So South Australian government, round of applause. That's right. Well, thank you for having me, and. Um... Uh, once again, thanks to the South Australian government on this great initiative, mm. and I uh, look forward to meeting everyone uh, on the trip. And uh, good luck. Yeah, yeah. Good luck. <laughs> thanks to, so much, we'll, Randall. Uh, look forward to following it. Thanks, Randall. Take care. Thanks. Bye. See you.